good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Dan Abbotts, if you don't know who I am. I am an elder here at Philida Bible, and I'm also a member of the preaching task, what do we call it? It's preaching task force. I want to say team. We are a team. We help each other uh, in preparation to um, proclaim the word of God, which is an awesome privilege. Uh, and so it is with uh, much prayer that I come to you today with uh, a message out of the book of Micah. And before we get there, some questions. just want to ask, have you guys ever, ever started something, a project or, or something like that, gone away for it for a time, and then come back to it and forgotten exactly where you are or what you were doing? Uh, I don't know if we have any gamers in the audience, but I am one, and uh, many are the times that I'll pick up a video game, I'll play through some, and then a new shiny game will come out. So I'll pick that up, complete that one, go back to the game I was playing, and I have to start over because I have no idea where I was or what I was doing. Uh, if that doesn't resonate with you, maybe there's some artsy, crafty people here. Uh, crochet and knitting projects. That's all I need to say. Because those of you who do that, you've got a pet project, maybe you started it, set it down, you don't know where you are in the pattern. I know I've done that before, too. Um, others, maybe, uh, maybe it's a family time. It's a, it's a family day. You're going to have some fun. You go into the garage. You're going to grab something, go back out to the backyard right quick. Uh, but then you just, something snaps in you. You're in the garage. You're like, this is ridiculous. And you start organizing, like, this screwdriver needs to go here, and this needs to go there. And you just, 30 minutes go by, and your family's in the backyard going, uh... Where's dad, man? I thought we were going to play some bocce ball, maybe some, maybe some croquet, something like that. I mean, what's, where is he? Uh, you've just forgotten uh, the, the reason that you started something. Or, uh, if you've ever preached a sermon, have you ever started an intro, totally forgotten what your point was <laughs> at the beginning of it, just going through all these questions? Uh, I do have a point. I do know where I'm going. And the last scenario is this one. It's a, it's a lot heavier uh, topic. Have you ever gotten into or become a part of a covenant relationship with someone? And time passes. And the other party comes to you with a list of grievances and consequences for those grievances. And it seems to blindside you. You're not sure why this is happening. But that's where you find yourself. A very tough situation. This is actually the book of Micah. This is what's happening between God and his covenant people, Israel, is what we're looking at today. Israel entered into this relationship. Uh, Brief history here. Um, God comes to a man, Abraham, and makes him a promise. He makes a promise to uh, make him a father of many nations. And then to his son, uh, Isaac, he makes a, a similar promise. And then to Isaac's son, Jacob, another promise of, of a land that they will inherit. So you've got uh, Abraham, you've got Isaac, you've got Jacob, and they have this, uh, this land. Uh, Jacob has a son named Joseph, and uh, through a series of circumstances, he ends up getting sold into slavery and sent down to Egypt, where uh, some more stuff happens, and eventually his entire family ends up down in Egypt few generations pass, a lot of generations pass, and now they are slaves in Egypt because there was a, a leader that came up who didn't know who Joseph was at all. 
but there was a good number of people and they make a great labor force. So that happens and there is a crying out to God and God raises up Moses to deliver them from this. So they are delivered from slavery and shortly after that, uh, they complain and say it was better in Egypt than wandering through the desert here. So 40 years of wandering in the desert as punishment for that one um, because of uh, numerous things there. And then finally, we have them on the, uh, the edge of the promised land. We are, we're almost to it. Right? We're almost in. And we, we went through their history in a short time, but this is, we're talking on some estimation, 600 years of history from God coming to Abraham and saying, here's this promise. And all this time, and now they're, at, they're right about to enter into this promise. And Moses is leading them. Um, I'm going to read Deuteronomy uh, 8, uh, 10 through 18 here. This is Moses reminding them of something. He wants them to remember. So, starting at verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, this is when you get in the land, and you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. That's cool. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as is today. Guess what happened? Um, it's not good. Uh, after a while, they, get, uh, they, they want a king, so they get a king. They get a few kings. Uh, I was reminded today they had three kings before a civil war happened. Um, splits the, the country. You've got the northern and the southern kingdoms now. Um, it's terrible. There's very few godly kings, if any, uh, in these kingdoms. And it just goes on for both sides. And it's during this time where there's some godless kings on the throne. You see Micah come onto the scene. He also, there's some other contemporaries that he has. Isaiah is a contemporary of his. And there is, uh, well, Micah is a prophet, and sometimes prophets get to give good news. Sometimes they get to give bad news. And Micah gets to deliver some um, pretty bad news. A la uh, Deuteronomy 19 and 20, Moses gave this after he told them, don't forget God. He said, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord God destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. 
That's uplifting. Um, Micah, Micah is the man who, after, this is another hundreds of years that have passed for this. So this isn't like Israel gets in the land, a couple years pass, and God's like, well, you're not following me, smite. This is, this is decades. This is centuries of disobedience that you have. And Micah comes to proclaim the word of God to Israel. And it's interesting, as you read through Micah, you've got um, a judgment and why this judgment is happening. And then right after that, you hear this blessing, this, this coming hope. And then there's more judgment and why. And then there's another future hope and then bless or uh, a judgment and why. And it just, it just keeps building like that. It keeps going in that, in that circle. And you see that God does have quite a bit against Israel uh, for what they've done. They have very crooked government. The kings uh, have just disregarded everything. The, uh, the religious establishment, as it was, the Levites were supposed to be the ones to call the people to worship. They're corrupt. Uh, you want a prophet to say something? You know, what, what does the Lord have to say to me? By the way, here's 500 bucks. I want it to go well. Okay, it's going to go well for you. This is how their prophets are now working. You've got false teachers You've got the powerful oppressing the weak. This was something they were told not to do. You have them when a stranger came into their land, they were supposed to welcome them and treat them well, show them who God is. Now we're just disregarding them. We're, we're taking advantage of them in, in different ways. This, it's, this is what God has against them. But in all of this, God promises to protect. There's, there's a small group of people relatively speaking, within the, within the northern and southern kingdoms, who still remember God. They still remember what he's done. And he promises to lead these people, to shepherd these people. They'll still experience the judgment that's coming, but he'll be with them. He'll lead them. Uh, chapter 4, that's kind of the first three chapters. Chapter 4, I'm talking about this remnant... Um, Micah lays out this picture, paints this picture just beautifully of what Jerusalem will become. Jerusalem is going to be this city where all the nations of the earth, all the nations of the earth will come and they will learn who God is. They will, um, sit, they will be in the temple. They will be a part of it. They will get to be with God. This is an amazing thing to hear about this. And at the end of chapter 4, it says, but first, exile. Is going to happen. So this isn't, an, oh sweet, I guess we can dodge that bullet. No, there is going to be this, this time of, of exile that will happen. And in the future you will see all nations come to Israel, or come to Jerusalem rather. Um, chapter 5, chapter 5 is a, um, a beautiful prophecy because it tells of the Messiah, this promised one. Uh, will be coming out of a very small, no-name town, Bethlehem. And he is going to be mighty. He is going to bring about um, justice. He is going to throw off the oppressor's yoke. Anybody who has uh, fought Israel or that has been, uh, been oppressing them, he is going to break their chains and he's going to conquer them. He's going to raise leaders up. And it's this awesome picture of... Uh, of this, of this Messiah. So they're looking for that, but there's still, there's going to be exile. You still see this, this future hope uh, 
and then a, um, a judgment happening. And this then brings us to chapter 6 and 7. And this here, uh, this, is where, this is where Yahweh comes up and he calls, he calls the mountains to be witnesses and he calls the foundations of the earth, right? So this is pretty much the, hey, everybody, listen up. I'm, go- I'm presenting my case against Israel. I want them to answer me. And he lays this out. And we, we are in um, Micah 6. We're going to start at verse 3. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. He bought them out of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you. Also Aaron, that's Moses' brother, and Miriam, that's Moses' sister. She was a prophetess. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. This is the time when they are in the promised land and this king doesn't like Israel. He doesn't want his kingdom, so he hires this uh, Balaam to curse them. God poured his spirit out on this guy, and rather, he gets up to curse Israel. This happened three times. Gets up to curse Israel and pronounces blessing on him. This, this is a work of, the gods, uh, of work of God. So he's saying, remember what was plotted and what actually happened. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. This is when they are going into the land and they were told to uh, conquer various cities and they were doing that. And the Lord provided those military victories for them. So he's saying, he's calling them um, to remember all that he's done and saying, how have I burdened you? Did I, did I put this weight on you? Or, and lists out all these things that he's done. In verses 9 and 13, God comes and he explains why they're being judged, why this is happening now. Verse 9, Listen, the Lord is calling to the city, and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Am I still f- to forget your ill-gotten treasures, you wicked house, the short ephah, undermeasured things, which is accursed. That was in the law that you should uh, not short that. Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Now we're cheating people. Your rich people are violent. Your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. Jump to 16. You have observed the statutes of Omri and all the practices of Ahab's house. You have followed their traditions. I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations. Ahab's house. Ahab was the king uh, king at this time who had um, brought in uh, Baal worship. Totally unspeakable things happening. We're talking human sacrifices. Just, just think really, really bad. Um, if you've seen, um, oh, what is it? Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. That kind of stuff, not necessarily volcano and all, but just think of that 
type of ritualistic sacrifices and things like this. This is bad news. This is not showing who Yahweh is. So this is what they've done. We see, though, like I say, this didn't just happen overnight. This happened a long time. Israel was blessed. There was a time they went into the land. They established their homes. They were eating. Their flocks and herds increased. Their money increased. And there came a time when they said, look what my hands have built. This is fantastic. I'm pretty good. Not too bad at all. Pat myself on my back. Thank you. I'm a self-made man. And uh, because of that, because they forgot who God is, judgment came. So, it's kind of the long picture of Micah, this judgment and blessing. What correlations are we seeing in the 21st century today? How do we see that? I mean, I could go off on, um, on crooked governments. I could go off on corrupted religious leaders. I could go on about the powerful oppressing the weak. We know these things. They're obvious. We see them happen. Um, but we still have a choice to make. And it's a choice that Israel did have to make as well. Are we going to choose to remember God? Are we going to choose to remember God on this side over here and what he has done for us? Or are we going to allow ourselves to forget God entirely? Do we choose to remember God or are we going to allow ourselves to forget? How are we living our lives? What did we, uh, what did we see with Israel? How are they living their lives? They were, um, they were doing what they wanted. They were not living in light of God's future promise. There was uh, a role that they were to play and they were not fulfilling that. Uh, chapter 4 paints this beautiful picture of what Jerusalem will become. Are we living in light of that? We have, uh, as Christians, John's revelation of a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem coming down. And the dwelling uh, of God is going to be with men. Are we living in light of this? I mean, this, this is serious news. Are we living that way? Or are we allowing ourselves to forget what's going on? So, I want to try and uh, answer that today. And you may, you may be here today because um, you want to see what this God thing is about. So at some level, if, you, if you're sitting here, you, you've, you're, you're choosing to remember God somehow. So if you're here to just kind of check out what this God thing is, you know there's, there's got to be more to life than just eating, sleeping, going to work, repeat ad nauseum. There's got to be more to it than that. So you're here. Or maybe you've been showing up to check out the God thing for a while, but you're just not sure. I don't know if we want to commit. Maybe you've um, entered into, uh, you've, you've now started a relationship with Jesus. You, you understand the work that he's done for you, uh, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the dead and conquered death, so we don't have to fear that. Maybe you're entered in that. Maybe you've been in that position. You've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and that's why you're here. But we're going to work with the assumption that we're, we're choosing to remember who God is. So, 
between God telling Israel what he had done and what judgments uh, were coming for the evils committed, uh, we have this section here um, asking the question of, um, of just, okay, so what, what, do I, what do I need to do for God? What do I have to do? Uh, this is uh, Micah 6, 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with my thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, for the, uh, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? So they're asking, God, what do I need to do? Maybe, maybe we're asking ourselves that question. Okay, God, here I am. What do you want from me? What, what am I supposed to do here? Um, okay, uh, how, many, how many classes do I need to attend? How many sermons? Do I need to show up every Sunday? Can I skip a couple? What about Saturday night services? Can I do some of those to make up? Um, what books do I need to read? How large of a check do I need to write, God, to get on your good side? I mean, is it, is, how much? Just tell me the amount. I'll write it down. How much time do you need me to invest uh, in things? Because, I mean, I can do that. I can, uh, how much, well, let me ask, how much time does my family need to do? How much time do we need to go and, and help others and do this and that? What do, we, what do we need to do? What are you requiring of us? Just tell us what, we, what you want us to do, and we'll do it, but we just want to be on your good side. So what do we need to do? That's what these questions are here. And that's, those can be the questions that we ask ourselves. So, Asking those, it's nothing new. Um, we humans have been doing that for a while. Um, and it's in light of this that we can just, of, of this running around, of doing, 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 doing. God, I need you to, to accept me. What, what actions do I need to perform so that you're okay with me? And I think it's in, in light of this, I imagine this hand on the nation's shoulder and this, this heavy sigh coming out. Uh, and, and then verse 8, a fairly famous uh, verse. Some of you guys may know it. This is the prophet speaking the word of God. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Oh no, now he's got my attention. All right, God, what do, you, what do you want from me? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Hmm. Okay, God. Those, those are nice. I can, I, can, I can work with those. A little broad of a brush stroke there, but I think we can... We can kind of figure it out. But why does, God, why do you want me to do that? What is it, what, what are you really asking for here? Why do you want me to do that? Is this, is this how I get on your good side? Is this what I'm supposed to do that way? Why are you asking me to do this? What's my motivation here? Or what's God's motivation in asking us that? I would present to you this. He asks us to do that because it is his character. He asks us to do that because it is his character. It's because of who he is 
and what he has done. What he does is just. It is right. He acts justly. He is compassionate. He loves mercy. If we go back to Genesis in the creation account, when he is done creating, he walks in the garden. He comes, he comes down to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and walks with them. He is with his creation. He loves to be with them and longs for that. So what he is asking us here is to be like him in his character. To act justly is to act like God. To love mercy is to love like God. And walking humbly with God, we're going to get to that here in a second. Um, So that's well and good, but how? How do we do that? Because I did say it is a broad brush stroke on what, it sounds a little bit like, okay, you're still having me do some action here. Yeah, there's a little bit. And I want to walk through these, but, uh, oh, hey, the note sheet. If you guys already filled that out, because like, oh, sweet, I know the three points. One, two, three. Ha! I'm doing them from bottom to top. So, <laughs> rather than starting with act justly, we're going to uh, look at walking humbly with your God. So if you're using the note sheet, you can just <laughs> walk humbly with God. <laughs> That's number one. So what does that mean, to walk humbly with God? First step, first step in this one, walking humbly with God, you have to admit that you are a sinner in need of saving. You have to admit that. And that's not a popular idea today, in any right. Yeah, I have faults, but they're not that bad. Eh, Maybe I've lied a couple of times, but... They're squishy, you know, they crumble pretty easily. It didn't really hurt anyone. Still sin. And it still separates us from God. God cannot associate with sin. So, in this walking humbly with God, we have to admit that we are a sinner in need of saving. We have to ask God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot make ourselves pure. We cannot make ourselves righteous. There is nothing that we can do. There's no check large enough to write. There are no activities to go to or to perform that will make us right with God. All right, so what do we need to... How how do we get purified then? How how does this happen? 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You cannot walk humbly with God until you address the elephant in the room, and that elephant is sin. So how do we get rid of our sin? We confess it to God. We rely on him to do this. Um, the pro- that prophecy in chapter 5 is about Jesus. So he is the Messiah. And really, there's a lot of even, we're still awaiting some of chapter 5, actually most of chapter 5, to be fulfilled. That conquering king, because it talks about that in chapter 5, throwing off the oppressor's yoke, etc. But when he first came, his work was to um, be a sacrifice to deal with our sin. 
to pay the penalty that was due us. And this, this lends us to get to our second point there of loving mercy. Loving mercy. Each and every one of us deserves to be judged fully for our sin and our um, disregard of a holy God. We deserve that. What we do not deserve is the opportunity to be rescued from that punishment. And yet, the God of the universe, in his wisdom, sent Jesus, and Jesus is God, and I won't get into the fun details there, but God himself comes down and becomes a man and takes all the weight of sin on himself and pays the penalty for it, allowing us to be purified, to experience grace from God so that we may enter a relationship with him. It's putting our hope in Jesus and forgiving our sins and conquering death. Um, And Micah tells of this impending punishment uh, for Jerusalem, this exile that's going to happen, but there is still hope. There is hope for those who still believe. Likewise, uh, we still have that hope. Okay, so how am I to show mercy? What does that look like for us? I mean, I'm not exactly... I'm not going to exactly die for all your guys' sins, nor would I expect you to die for my sins. Jesus has done that work. If we put our hope in him, we need to live out of that. Are we being kind to another? When we see someone who maybe we don't necessarily like, there's no really specific reason, we just don't like them, but hey, we don't wish them well either. Say they, they come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Are we happy that they're now in the kingdom? That they're now our brother or sister? Are we happy about this? If uh, we're, we're treated poorly at work because of our beliefs, are we still kind to those other people? Um, Jesus has something to say on, on, this, type of, uh, on this topic here. Um, this is in Matthew. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is where it's uh, from. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That one's pretty easy to do. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be, the ch- uh, be children of your Father in heaven. What's Jesus doing here? He's telling us to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why are we doing that? Uh, that we may be children of our Father in heaven. We're called to be like God once more. We're called to love mercy. Um, if anybody be, could be called the enemy of God, I think the human race pretty much fits the bill on that one, and he loved us. So we're called to love this mercy, to uh, love to extend that to people because of who God is. Last week, um, Matt Wadarzik preached on Jonah. did a very, very fine job of that giving us the story. Jonah, I love Jonah, but 
he did not exemplify uh, pretty much any of this. <laughs> he didn't walk humbly with God. He didn't love mercy. Um, and he didn't act justly at all. In fact, so much so, uh, he was straight defiant with God. God tells him to go somewhere, and Jonah's like, nope, and leaves. And um, because in, in Jonah, we find out something of his mindset, of why he ran, right? He's like, God, I knew. I knew that if I went there and I preached and said they were going to get destroyed, that you would, if they repented, you'd save them. I knew you were going to do that, so I didn't go. Um, he knows out of God. He doesn't love mercy. He doesn't want to see them saved. He's kind of our bridge here, as it were, between um, points uh, two and three, where he didn't love mercy, so he did not act justly. He did not do what was right. Not without a good, forceful hand from God in the way of a storm and a fish and a second telling of, okay, now go. Right? That was Jonah. He didn't want to see that happen. God wants us to do just, uh, to act justly, to do good. I, I said earlier that, that Jesus came. Uh, Romans, it's not on the screen, but uh, Romans, um, Paul says that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinning, Christ, Christ died for us. That's, that is acting justly. That is, that is good. Um, we see that Jesus did wrestle with that a little bit. I mean, in the garden, you have him pleading with the Father, hey, if there's any way that we can do this differently, let's do that. Not my will, but yours be done. And he dies for us, for, that we could have right relationship with God. Later on, um, Jesus had some brothers there. Uh, James was one of his brothers, and at uh, the time of his ministry, James did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God at all, even though he probably heard the story. But uh, he did not come to understand who Jesus was until after the resurrection. And he writes this letter to the, uh, the church, uh, the, the Jewish church, during a time of persecution. And he throws down this, my uh, favorite, least favorite verse uh, in all the Bible, uh, because it, it, uh, it's pretty cut and dry. So James 4.17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, sins. So when we fail in our minds, if we're like, oh, it'd be a good thing to do this for someone, and we, then we don't do that, well, that's telling. That's convicting to me. Um, apparently I sinned. So what's our motivation? What's our motivation to do good? Am I getting up here and telling you, hey, you should feel guilty for not doing good, so go do good so you don't feel guilty anymore. Is that what I'm saying? I, I hope you're not hearing that. Uh, I hope I am not communicating that to you. I hope um, what I'm communicating is what um, Jesus talks about a little bit. In Matthew 25, he is talking about uh, his second coming. 
There will be a time when he separates the righteous from the unrighteous. And he, he says this information to the righteous, uh, you know, as far as what's going on there. He says, for I was hungry. This is Jesus speaking. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you look after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous are dumbfounded at this statement. They're like, um, we don't remember doing that to you, Jesus. Cool that you feel that way. Uh, we don't see it. And Jesus says some amazing words at this point, or will say, which he says, when, when you've done it to the least of these, brothers or sisters of mine, you've done it to me. That's amazing. So what's our motivation? What's our, what's our draw here? Why are we to act justly? It's because we are doing these things ultimately in the name of Christ, and we are doing them to Christ. I prayed a lot about this next part that I'm about to say because it is, it is hard because it is convicting to me as well. Uh, Pastor Scott uh, spoke on uh, reputation and reality uh, a couple weeks ago. Great sermon. Suggest you listen to it. I, I would put to you that the church in this area of the world, our, our little neck of the woods, our church does have a reputation. And it is not good. I don't know if you've talked to, not Philida Bible, I'm talking the church, larger. The church has a reputation. Like I say, it is not a good one. Um, read the papers, talk to your coworkers, um, those who have been just slighted by the church, their experience with God was not good. We are, we are known as bigots. We're known as hateful people. We're known as uh, hypocrites. The, the reputation of the church, I would say in the Pacific Northwest, is a negative context, or it's a negative thing. Uh, Jesus says, they will know uh, that you are my followers because of your love. Apparently, Christians are not known for love in this area. We are not known for doing good. We are known for uh, picketing and yelling. And that's not to say that we aren't doing good things. What I am calling us to, to do is to be like God. Prayerfully, every day, get up. Are we? we need, this is where we have to live in light of the future kingdom. Are we living our lives in such a way that we are ignoring people, that we are ignoring human beings who are hurt and who are broken, who do not know the love of Jesus, and we're looking down on them because of a political view, a sexual orientation, um, whatever the issue may be, are we, are we withholding the love of God from them because they aren't worthy of it? Or are we seeing them with the eyes that we should be which is this is a human 
created in the image of God, who is broken, who is flawed, who I share much more in common with than I'd like to admit. And I have received grace from God. I have received forgiveness from God. And I need this person to experience that because I know it will change them. Have they heard about what Jesus has actually done for them? That Jesus does love them, that he died for their sins, that that they can be made right with God, that they can actually know truth, real truth, not just some, oh, I think we should do this, but solid truth of reality. Are we treating this? Are we listening to what their story is, where they've come from, or are we just rejecting them? And I'm preaching to myself on this one. I, I confess that I do not always do this well. And while we do need to speak the truth in love, and that does need to happen, we still need to treat people as being created in the image of God, lost and in need of a Savior. This is where, uh, this is is all three of those uh, requirements wrapped up. This is walking humbly with God. This is loving mercy. We want those people to experience mercy. We want the church to be known as a place where it is safe to come, it is safe to speak uh, what's on your mind and heart, knowing that truth will be given back to you in return. And if it's tough, we'll walk through it with you. We're not going to throw you out the door. We're not going to burn you as a heretic. Or, or whatever it is. We're not going to ostracize you. We're going to love you and speak truth into your life. We're going to do right by you. Are you hungry? We will give you some food. Are you thirsty? We will give you a drink. Do you need clothes? We'll clothe you. You're sick. Let me be with you. You're in prison. Let me come visit you. Are we doing these things? So I prayed this week too while prepping this sermon that it would not just be, okay, now let's go. Let's go do better, folks. Let's try harder. We, we have a bad reputation, but we can flip this around. Let's get and go and do it, okay? That is not what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that God has shown us mercy, that he asked, acts justly, that he wants to walk with us, that even through judgment in Micah, we see that there is all this judgment. There is still hope. There is a way out in a deliverance from ultimate punishment. Hell is a reality. And God has not just provided us a way out of hell, but he has provided us someone to be with himself. He wants, this is, that is our ultimate good, for our ultimate good, is to be with God, the God who created us. And he has done that through Jesus Christ. If you've not uh, begun that relationship with him today, I would say, Let's, let's start walking humbly with God. Let's pray. Um, it's not a, a magical thing. It's confessing your sin to God, saying, I can't do this, I need you. Um, before I pray, though, I do want to end um, on the last few verses of Micah, which, which in and of itself is... If you've heard it said that God is just made up from man's mind, th- this is a <laughs> this debunks that in my opinion because there's no no one would think of this. 
This is just who God is. So, Micah 7, 18 through 20. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob. You will show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. I want to give us a moment of quiet reflection before God. If there is sin in your life that needs to be confessed, if you are a follower of Christ and you need to confess sin, I I implore you, do that with our God now. If you have not taken that initial step or you ever confessed your sin to God or expressed a need for him, I pray that you would do that now. Father God, you are truly loving. That you would um, that you would allow us the opportunity to be in right relationship with you. Jesus, we thank you for coming and for doing the work here on earth, allowing us to be in right relationship. We thank you for your death and your resurrection so that we know our sin is taken care of and we know that death is not final. Father, I pray that the, uh, the Spirit would move within us, that if we had, have felt something today, that we would not ignore it, that our conscience um, would, be, uh, would be pricked, that we would know that we, uh, we need you, we need to rely on you. Father, that you give us the strength in the Spirit to do that which you have required. You've given us strength to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with you. Father, help us choose to remember you. Do not allow us to forget. Help us choose to remember you and not take lightly this covenant relationship that we have been called into. Father, I pray for those who may not know you right now that um, they would see you, they would see the real you, that they would understand uh, what has been done through Jesus. God, we ask you to work mightily uh, in our church here, and the church in Vancouver, and the church in Clark County, and on and on and on. Father, I pray that, that the church would not be seen as hateful. I pray that you would make your church known to be loving and that we would be loving so that more uh, may know who you are. We pray all this in the power and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.